0: The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. If you were here last week, you know Jesus just had a a pretty crazy 24 hours, right? So he had entered the synagogue, he's preaching, and just imagine in that moment, he's preaching, and all of a sudden, some demon possessed dude he like stands up and I don't know, what's that even look like? I don't know, but it's probably pretty wild. He casts himself on the ground. The demon casts himself down on the ground and Jesus casts the demon out. And then what's he do? He goes and gets a sandwich, right? Because you're hungry after that. Preaching will wear you out, but casting out demons is probably even worse, right? I've never done it, but he goes in and he enjoys a sandwich. But if you remember what what was going on there is Peter's mother-in-law had a high fever. So he rebukes the fever, and now she's feeling better, and she begins to serve. And Jesus is enjoying a meal with all the people, and Simon's there. Simon Peter, he's there. And, and so he's enjoying the afternoon. But as the sun begins to set, the Sabbath is over, and here comes the whole town. All their sick all their ill, all those who have had different struggles throughout their entire lives are coming to Jesus because they've heard this man has authority. He has power. And this is where you go to get healing. So here they come, come one, come all. And, and the text from last week said that Jesus laid his hands on every one of them and healed every one of them, right? That's all recap. But if you remember, they didn't want Jesus to leave, right? They wanted him to stay, I bet they did, right? Like if you've got a guy who's just walking around with you and anytime you're like, oh, hey, I just tripped and I lost a leg out on the sidewalk, boom, he can make it just come back on. That's the guy you want to stick around, right? If you've got like some nasty virus like I had last week, you just want, Jesus, just touch me. Let the fever go. He didn't touch me. I laid in bed for a week. Feel much better now. Thank you, Lord. But you want him to stay. But remember what he said. He said, I must go. And preach good news of the kingdom, for that is why I've been sent. And so he goes. And that's where we pick it up this morning. Luke 5, 1 through 3, <coughs> that's where we're going to look at first, right? We're going to work our way through the first 11 verses of this text, but let's look at the first three verses. So, on that one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, right? So, just imagine... Not not too long ago, the day before probably, people were pressing in on him to receive healing. Now they're pressing in on him because they want to hear his preaching. They want to hear the word of God. And he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Right? So, so, Jesus said, I must go and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And here we see that's exactly what he's doing. He went about preaching the kingdom of God with power and with authority. And his preaching's drawing quite the crowd. Right? They, they, they don't understand he's the word of God. But he's preaching in a way that they've never heard it before. He's not even in the synagogue now. He's out and about wherever he's going, and he's drawing quite the people. And, and you can almost imagine, and I think it's good in times like this when we read narrative, to almost put your little sandals on, go 2,000 years back, and try to envision what this thing would have looked like, right? So Jesus is preaching, and people are in the back, and they're, tr- they're having trouble hearing him. And they're probably in the back, say it louder for the people in the back, Right? And there he is, and he's, and, he's, and he's bringing the word of God, but they're pressing in on him. There's quite the commotion. Not everybody can hear. So Jesus asked if, si- if he could use Simon Peter's boat, right? Why? I don't think it's more complicated than this. You need a little space, you needed, needed a little amplification. And he sits down, and everybody gathers around, and they're wanting to hear what Christ has to say. And the text continues verse 4 and when he had finished speaking he said to simon put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and simon answered master we have toiled all night and we've took nothing right now picture this i can only imagine that there's got to be a little bit of frustration in the tone i could be wrong with that but i think there probably is why cuz they were done fishing they're cleaning their nets if, if you ever worked a really long shift, and at the end of the long shift, all you want to do is go home, right? Amen? Gabe, Gabe's like, amen. All right. so. I know I have. I've worked some long shifts, and all, at the end of the day, all I want to do is go home. I used to work retail for like 18 years, and the last thing I ever wanted to see, sorry customers, was the person come in five minutes before closed. Like, oh, I'm sorry, the last 17 hours we were open wasn't sufficient. You need the last five minutes. We're already vacuuming. We can't wait to get out of there, and now we're there right? And they're like, and they're only asking for the one thing we don't have. And now they're frustrated. And now it's a thing, right? Well, I don't know if that's all in that text, but I do know this. He's cleaning the nets. They fished all night. They're probably exhausted, probably hungry, you know, if you're fishing all night, you probably want some breakfast and here comes Jesus and he needs to use your boat and you don't want to tell him no. So you say, sure. But now, now he wants me to take the nets and throw them in the water. I've been fishing these, you know, you can almost imagine. I've been fishing these waters all night. We caught nothing. Now you want me to try it in the middle of the day. I don't know if you understand how this works, seeing that you're a carpenter and apparently a preacher, but, but you don't go throwing nets in the middle of the day. Why? Because fish can see it and they will scatter. And if we didn't catch anything during the day, why would we think we will catch them now? Now, that's my, that's my interpretation of that situation. It might've been completely different, but my guess is that, that Peter definitely wishes Jesus would stick to preaching and carpentry, not, not give him fishing advice. But at your word, notice what he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. By the way, even reluctant obedience is obedience, but we should be praying that the Lord would give us a heart to desire to obey, right? Apart from faith, everything is actually sin. You could obey and have the most disgruntled heart in the world, and it doesn't actually please the Lord to do that right but there are times where we need to obey even when our heart our feelings our emotions don't want to and the lord will bless that the lord will bless reluctant obedience it's still a good thing right and that's what you see here okay and when they had done this listen to what happens they enclosed a large number of fish their nets were breaking Now, this is a good day, right? They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. this is a wild scene, right? Could you just imagine this? By the way, we were over there in Christian Wonderland, Lancaster. What's that place called? Sight and Sound. We went there. I call it Christian Wonderland because if you plant a church by next weekend, you have a thousand people. I guarantee it, right? Like you plant one here, you got, it's like pushing like a seed in concrete and you might have 37 people at the end of two years. Praise the Lord. It's a mega church, but there it's like fertile soil everywhere you go. Big churches, tons of people. Well, we went there for that sight and sound, and they actually did the whole Jesus production thing, and they had this thing on there, and it, and it was just amazing to see how it come to life. I don't know if that's what it looked like, but I will tell you this. This is quite the scene. This is every fisherman's dream day on the lake, right, Evie? Right? Like, you don't fish with nets, Ev- but in case you don't know, Evie's quite the fisherwoman, right? She's the fisherman. She's got the fly rod, and she catches, like like, steelhead, like, like, how big? Is this good, Evie? Like this? That's how you tell a fishing story. But but this is no doubt. This is unlike anything they've ever had happen in their entire lives. Look at it. Their nets are breaking. Their nets are breaking. So many fish, their nets are breaking. Their boats are sinking. That's pretty serious, right? So this would have been quite the scene. The crowds would have been cheering as they watched it all unfold right before their eyes what's going on here? Is it just about fish? No, it's, it's about much more than that. It's, it's about authority. It's about power. Jesus has the power to tell fevers to knock it off, and they must listen. Jesus has the power to cast out demons, and they must listen. Now he's showing, I actually have the power to tell fish to jump in nets, and they also must listen. Why does this matter? Because what he's doing is he's showing people He's God. He's the same one who spoke a fish into being, right? All things were made through him and by him. And apart from Jesus Christ, nothing was ever made, right? And so what he's showing is, I can command the stars and they will do what I say to do. Remember last week, nobody makes Jesus Lord, Nobody makes Jesus king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. He's showing his sovereign authority over even creation now. And everybody, they might not be picking up all that he's laying down, but they understand this is no mere man. Yes, he is a man, but there's something more going on. Now, now look, look, everybody's going to be jumping up and down going crazy. Like we're going to have a fish fry today, right? This is going to be a good day. <laughs> but notice not everybody's jumping up and down. Look at verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man. O Lord. I, do you find that to be a strange response to that? It's probably not the response that you'd expect, right? Like, I almost anticipate like, bro, did you see that? Did you just see how many fish we just caught? That was amazing. Thank you for not telling me to give up. Thank you for encouraging me to cast my nets one more time. Look at all the fish we caught. Hashtag winning, Jesus. Way to go, bud. Right? Like you're a good luck charm. Um, But instead, Simon Peter fell down at his knees and he begged him to go away. Why? Does it strike you odd? I mean, why on earth would Peter make such a request? I think the, the thing that is happening right here is that Peter's profoundly aware of Jesus' divine holiness. He's come in contact with the transcendent. <laughs> he understands something more is going on. So when we say the word holiness, by the way, I'm so thankful we're singing songs, we're talking about the holiness of God today, and I'm like, well, we didn't even coordinate that, but praise the Lord. What is holiness, though? Because so many times, holy is God Almighty and all these different things. We sing them. We don't even necessarily know what it means. The holiness of God just refers to the absolute moral purity of God and the absolute moral distance between sinful man and God, right? It means to be set apart. That's what it means, right? And so as Peter sees this, he realizes you're not like me, and I am definitely not like you. And so what he wants is he wants space. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden when they rebelled against God. What did they do immediately? They hid. They covered themselves up. They didn't want to draw near to God, although they had walked with God in the cool of the day every day. Why not now? Because they realize, I, I'm separate. I am so not near you. And they realize that. And that's exactly what happens here. Peter sees that Jesus is Lord. And you see, because he's going to say that. And, 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 and when you see Christ clearly, it helps you see yourself rightly. Right? And that's exactly what's happening. Hes, get away from me. I, essentially, he's saying, I'm not worthy. And he's not. He's absolutely not. So the story continues. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, listen to how he responds to him. He says, do not, do not be afraid. I wonder what the tone would have been like there. I don't know, right? We could only speculate. But, but you can almost imagine he's saying he's fallen at his knees. He said, get away from me. And Jesus looking at him says, do not be afraid. For now, from now on, you'll be catching men. Jesus' response is not actually what we would expect either right? Jesus doesn't argue with Peter's statement of his own sinfulness, right? He doesn't say, oh, come on, Pete, you're being a little rough on yourself. Don't talk to yourself that way. That's negative talk. He doesn't say, come on, you just need to believe in yourself, Peter. You got some real fishing talents. Come on, get up, buddy. He doesn't say that at all. What does he do? He brings a word of comfort and he brings a word of commissioning, right? The, the word of comfort is, he tells him, don't be afraid. Peter has every reason to be afraid here. Just like if you remember when the angels showed up on the scene and the shepherds were in the field, and, and, and even when, when the angels showed up to Mary, and all throughout the first two chapters of the narrative, any time the divine would crack in, you would see they were afraid. They would fall on their face. That's exactly what's happening here. But in all those announcements, what happens is they say, don't, don't be afraid. Why? Because we're in a season of great mercy. God's doing something. And I'm saying in this story, in this timeline, in this moment. It's not time for wrath. It's not time for judgment. It's time for salvation. (laughs) And that's just over and over. It's it's why it's good news. It's why it's good news of great joy. Jesus says, no, listen, do not be afraid. And then he catches, he says, I'm going to commission you. You got a new job, bud. You're no longer going to be fishing for the things with scales. You're going to go catching men, which might sound a little strange, by the way. In in the original language, uh, it it literally here's what it means: catching men alive. Catching men alive. That's what the original language means. Strange in a sense, right? Like, what do you mean? I'm going to go catch some men alive? Well, what it well, that's probably good news, right? Like, hey, normally you go fishing, you catch some fish that are alive, and then we know how that ends, right? And this was not catch and release back then, right? This was catch and cook, right? They were trying to make some serious money. Well, here he's saying that, that he's using this as an illustration to the people. There are people that are all out there and they're all swimming and they're, sw- they're actually dead fish. They're floating. You're going to go catch them. Alive. You're going to make them alive. I'm going to do this work in and through you. Catching men from eternal death to eternal life. That's the call that Peter's getting here. That's the call you and I have. This is their mission. Notice it says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There can be no doubt, by the way, here, that Jesus was the one doing the real fishing. He's the one doing the real fishing it's not hard for Jesus to get fish to jump in a net. He, they didn't exist. He spoke, they exist. Okay, if he can do that, it's not hard to get him to even jump in a boat, right? He could do that. It's not a hard thing for him. Okay, so what he's saying is, if I can do that, then guess what I'm going to do through you. Remember, prior to this, Jesus is exhausted, The the candles are flickering. He's healing people as they come. He's one man in one place at that time. We We worship the triune God, one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And in that divine triune God, we have Jesus, who's one person of the triune God, and he's fully divine, and he's fully human. He's really human, which means he really gets tired. So what's my way of of reaching the people around me. I'm gonna recruit some people. It's very practical, right? He already interacted with Simon when he was over at the house for the sandwich. Now he's saying, listen bud, you're gonna be on my team and here's what we're gonna go do. This is what we're gonna do. You don't need to be afraid. Come on, we're gonna go catch some men alive. And he means men, women, and children, right? He's talking humanity, okay? That's the mission. Okay, well, when it comes to the holiness of God, I want want to read a quote to you real quick. R.C. Sproul wrote this in a a story. He was referring to this text, and in a book he wrote this. We notice that Jesus did not lecture Peter about his sins. There was no rebuke, no word of judgment. All Jesus did was to show Peter how to catch fish. But when the holy is manifest, no words are needed to express it. Peter got the message that was impossible to miss, the transcendent standard of all righteousness and all purity before his eyes. Like Isaiah before him, Peter was undone, right? That's what it means to come in contact with the truth of who God is. And when you see who God is rightly, you can't help but see who you are rightly, right? If you've been caught by Christ, right, to use that, that language or that expression, then this has been your experience. You've had this experience at some level. And I would say it's progressive too, right? Uh, Peter interacted with Jesus when he was over for lunch, but he didn't have this moment at that time right? But here he does. And it it doesn't always happen immediately. I remember walking with the Lord and just slowly continued. I'd been a saved man, but he continued to open my eyes to the truth of who God is. And as he did, I didn't feel better about myself, although I felt comforted. I felt I'm far worse than I could have ever imagined. Why? Because I was looking at his perfection, and I'm looking at myself in the mirror rightly, and I'm saying, you don't measure up which is why we're so thankful for the cross. This, this, it is the picture of what God has done in and through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to allow us to measure up, right? We don't become lovable and then God loves us. We are absolutely unlovable, unlovable. The, the world doesn't, oh, that's, that's, self, that's negative self-talk, quit that. You and I are unlovable to God in our state before Jesus does a profound work. Now, he still loves us, which is amazing. But that talks to his great love, not how great you are, right? And so it's in that moment that on the cross, Jesus makes a way for us, get this, to be lovable, to be lovable. Something has to happen profound in the relationship between sinful humanity and holy God. And that profound thing is called a great exchange. Right. What happens is Jesus lives the life you and I could never live, and he willingly goes to the cross to become an enemy of God because you and I are enemies of God. He substitutes himself. He takes his, our place on the cross. That's what we deserve. Sin deserves death. Okay. Jesus does not deserve death. Jesus is in himself light and life, and yet he goes to the cross willingly. He takes upon our sin, right? And he, in himself, that moment becomes sin. He becomes all the ugliness that you and I are in our nature, right? We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. Jesus is perfect. And he willingly goes to the cross. And when he does that, he receives the punishment that our sins deserve. He deserves, right? He receives death, and he goes to the grave. And three days later, he resurrects from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death, because in that moment, the grave could not hold him. Why? Because he's perfect. Okay, this is the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus is doing. But all along the way, to head to Jerusalem, to head to the cross, make no mistake about it, Jesus was born to die. That's why he was born. He was born in a manger, in a food trough, to go to a wooden cross to be spit upon to be executed in our place why so that you and I could receive by grace and by faith a place we could never attain and that is the place of sonship adoption by receiving it by trusting in Christ right okay well this is this is where he's headed he's the whole world is dead in their sins This this Bible language, right? Dead in our sins. Jesus is alive. He's saying now we're going to go catch men alive. This is our work. This is what we're going to do. Okay. Now, think about it. We know that Peter had been to church with with Jesus, right? Synagogue. And Jesus was preaching. Demons were fleeing. He had a kosher sandwich with him the next day. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. He cast it out. He sees these moments of authority and power, but he doesn't fall down at his knees, but he does now. Why? My, my deep, profound answer is I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But what I do know is I know about my own experience And I do know what the Bible teaches. And so when I say progressive revelation and understanding, I know this. The more time I spend with Jesus Christ in his word, in prayer, and in community with other people who love Jesus, the more I know Christ. And then the more I know Christ, the more I know of my own sin. And I'm I'm not talking just my outward sin. I'm talking about the motives of my heart that you can't see. And sometimes I don't even know of, right? But Because of the blindness of my own sin. But the more I see his greatness, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his grace, I see myself rightly and I'm not, listen, crushed. Why? Because in the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness is the cross. And it's in that moment when I see that rightly, when I see the good news of Jesus rightly, I don't have to be crushed. Why? Because Christ was crushed in my place. This, that news, it has the power to not only save your soul, but to transform your life in everything you do, in every way you think, in every way you act, live, and go about your day. It it will not just affect what you do on a Sunday. That's religion. It will affect the way you interact within your marriage if you're married, the way you interact with coworkers if you have a job, the way you interact with neighbors and hospitality and inviting people into your home. It transforms everything. Why? Because we have real power in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And everyone who's trusting in Christ has the gift of the Holy Spirit. Period. John Calvin said this once, he said, No one ever attains clear knowledge of self unless he has first gazed upon the face of the Lord have you gazed upon the face of Christ? That's the question, right? If you have, you'll see more clearly than ever. You and I, every day, whether you realize it or not, are being, let's say, conformed into a discipleship that this world wants you to be in, right? So we need to be transformed, right? And if you think, well, that's not me, You are being more conformed than you realize. You have so much information coming at you right now that we need to feed on the word of God constantly because you need, ready, truth. You need truth. I need truth. We need truth. We need to be able to see it, understand it, to understand the world that we actually live in. Why? Because there are lies coming at you over and over and over. And if you don't understand truth, you'll never understand lies as they come. People think, well, I'll study the lie. That's never how it goes, and that's never the way it ought to go, right? I, I've told you guys this before, but it's absolutely true. When I went to a, a loss prevention meeting one time, and they were talking about all these you know, counterfeit $100 bills, they didn't teach us all the counterfeits. They taught us what a $100 bill was and is. Why? Because if I understood what a $100 bill was and is, I would never fall for the lie. So you and I need truth, people maybe more now than ever because lies are so subtle and they've always been subtle right a big lie is easy to understand but people fall for it all day every day nowadays it's just it's it's crazy land it really is it's insanity people will look at something they'll say that is a hippopotamus and you're like that's definitely not a hippopotamus you're like no it is no that's a mouse yes. no it's a hippo it's not a hippo <laughs> well I'm saying it's a hippo. Well, you're wrong. Oh, well, you can't say that. You'll get canceled. From what or who? If you don't understand truth, and Jesus, listen, you've got to understand, he came full of grace and truth. Truth isn't your enemy here. Truth is what sets you free. Truth is what sets you free. You're not hurting people with truth. You're helping people. Why? Because as humans image bearers of God, we desperately need truth. We need it. I don't think I have to convince you of that. I think that's why you're here. So if you have embraced Jesus, the one who, by the way, does not flee from sinners. Sinners want to flee from him. And he says, don't be afraid. I've done everything for you to come near. You don't have to run. If you want to run anywhere, run to me right? He doesn't flee from sinners. He seeks them out. This is why he came. Luke 19 says, 1910 says, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. Come on, Peter, we're going to go catch more, more. Guys like you, guys who are lost, guys who are dead in their sin. Right? He catches them for eternal life. He cleans away all their sin. He recruits them to join him in catching sinners alive who are currently dead. That's what he does. That's the work he has. It's strange fishing. It's strange fishing. It's way different than casting some net right on the lake. Going to catch men alive who are currently dead. Well, can I tell you that's why we're here? And I don't apologize for it. That's why we moved to Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Period. We came to reach primarily lost and de church people. And we're asking anyone who's being a part of what they would say, this I'm a part of for the city church. Great. Are you have you been caught alive? Right? Have you come to trust in Jesus for your salvation? Yes. Okay. Great. Then you're a part of the mission. What's the mission? Well, ultimately, it's to magnify Christ, right? How do we do that? By catching men alive right? And then making disciples who make disciples who show the transforming power of the gospel in the way that they live in the lips, the way they speak, speak words, speak gospel. And we believe that if we do that long enough, that we love Jesus, right? Love Jesus. Not like, oh, I love Jesus and I got a fish on my bumper. You can have a fish on your bumper and not love Jesus. You can have a fish on your bumper and love Jesus, But the way you show you love Jesus is by the way you love one another. Well, no, I I love Jesus a lot. I just don't love you and others. Then you don't love Jesus a lot, and you don't know of his love. Because how you will know my disciples, Jesus said, is by how they love, by how they love. So we seek to love Jesus. We seek to love his church, the bride, the family, right? And then we seek to love the city to the ends of the earth. Why? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. It's exactly what he told us to do. So we're about this kind of fishing. So what are marks of man, fishermen? <laughs> I was just trying to think of the phrase, I was like, I don't know if that works. But what are those marks? Well, I think we can see f- at least, uh, I think I had six, I don't know. But let's look at the first one. It's in your notes, by the way. Um, the first one, if we, if we wanna catch men for Christ, right? We must know and share the word of God. I think you can see that. Uh, by grace, we are saved through faith in Christ. There is no salvation without faith in Jesus Christ. None. Okay, I think we agree with that. So then where do you get this faith? That, that becomes the question. Romans ten seventeen says this. So faith comes from hearing, hearing, hearing the word of Christ right? So the proclamation of the gospel goes out, you hear that message, you now must must do something with that message. You must either believe it and receive it by grace through faith, or what you do is you reject it, right? Now you might think, well, I have not done either of those things. Well, in that moment when that happens, you can be indifferent towards the Word of God, and if you're indifferent towards the Word of God, can I just tell you that is rejection, that is rejection. So you receive it, right? The good news of Jesus is revealed through the pages of the Bible. It just is. How else will you know about Christ other than he reveals it to you? What color socks do I have on today? Check it out. What do you think? I'm not wearing high waters today. What what color socks? None of you know. You could guess. Somebody guess. White. White. White, blue, Let's see. I don't even know what I'm wearing. Oh, it's all kinds of crazy, right? We got yellow, we got light blue, dark blue, this, that. But you would have had no clue unless I showed you. And you're like, ah, and the people in the back didn't see it. It's okay, they're not that exciting of socks. My point being is the only way you would know is if it was revealed. How does God reveal Himself to you through the Word, through the Bible? You want to know God more? Get to know him through the word. Otherwise, you may come out thinking you know God more, but it might be the God of your imagination. All right? So if you want to know God, get into the Bible. Okay, why? Well, Because there's no other way that faith really comes. Faith is a gift that comes from God, from the Spirit. But, but know this, it's through the word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, that we have faith right? Proclamation happens. We hear, we believe. Did the sun move on you? Yeah, Yeah, it's all right. You got to do what you got to do, man. All right. It's like musical chairs around here. I love it. So the way we do this is we open the word of God and we ask God to open eyes of our heart, to see, to believe, to understand. I, I can tell you right now, the greatest way to get to know God, yes, is through the word of God, but it's with the people of God. It's with the people of God. So you gather with other people. One, if it's one other person, you're like, well, neither of us know that much. It's okay. It really is. If you start there and say, hey, let's just get together once a week. Let's open our Bibles. Let's have a cappuccino. If that's your drink of choice, it's mine, by the way. Um, And enjoy. Enjoy. Okay. Well, good. I think good things would happen if you were to do that. But what are you aiming for in that moment? Here's what you're aiming for. To see to see. That's what you're aiming to do. You're aiming to see Christ clearly, to know him, to cherish him, to treasure him, to enjoy him, to trust him, to embrace him for all that he truly is, for all that he truly is. And so we, if we want to go and we want to catch men for eternal life, right? It's such a strange phrase in our culture. But if we want to do that, we got to know the word of God. Okay, I think you see that. I think you believe that. That's exactly what brought everyone to Jesus. They were pressing in to hear the word of God, right? Two, to catch men for Christ, we must trust and obey King Jesus. We must trust and obey King Jesus. We obey God only by faith in God, right? Um, The beauty is the more you get to know the love of Christ, through the pages of scripture, the more you will trust and obey, right? When we don't want to trust, when we don't want to obey because of our, let's say, our old nature that just loves the war against God. And by the way, it's not more confusing than this. I want what I want, right? I want to be king. I want the crown. I don't want you telling me what to do. I want to be in charge, Right? That's, that's the rebellion that happens. The way to continually displace you off the throne of your heart is to continually see that Christ has done everything for you. You have a love problem when you don't want to obey. You, you really do. When, you're like, oh man, you keep talking about me. When I don't want to obey, which is often, I have a love problem. And when I say I don't want to obey, I mean I don't want to love the guy who's mean to me. It's, it's not that strange. Jesus says, love your enemies. I don't want to. I want to love people who love me and who think I'm nice. And, and maybe buy me a cappuccino, right? Those people are so easy to love. No, you love the guy who just threw a cappuccino in your face. Ugh, I don't want to. How do you learn to do that by understanding that Christ died for you while you were warring against him? It's, it's the gospel that transforms It's the gospel that transforms. And so, we obey. Why? Because Christ willingly, joyfully came and gave his life to save me. A sinner who did not deserve salvation. When I understand of his love more, then my heart's desire is to obey. And that comes through love. It comes from understanding his love, right? Um, By the way... That should bring a little bit of peace when we think about the work of evangelism or catching men, right? Like seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus doesn't need you to be an amazing theologian. He doesn't. He actually doesn't need you really to do anything. I mean, by the way, this should bring some peace to you. He makes fish jump in nets. He does that. What did Peter do? He he just threw the net, right? Can can you see the the correlation? He doesn't need you to have all the answers. It's actually pride to think you have to have all the answers before you engage somebody with the word of God. Get over yourself, For real, just start somewhere, right? I remember hearing a message very similar to that. Some of you have been around it long enough; you've heard this story. It, for me, it still gets to it because it's so profound in trusting God. I remember walking in. I was working at Radio Shack. I was kind of new to the Lord, and and I just remember thinking, "Man, He saved me. I was a lost guy. I want other people to get saved." Back then, I think I smoked Marlboro Lights, right? Maybe Reds. I don't remember. But there I am, and we had this whole smoking gallery outside of Radio Shack, and there's like thirty some people there and I'm puffing and I'm toking. And I feel like this intense pressure to tell everyone that Jesus loves them. Why? Because I just found out he loved me. And I was just like, that's the most amazing news I've ever heard in my entire life. But here I am. I don't know anything. I don't. The only thing I know is that Jesus, who I, I, I realized really wasn't pleased with my life, now loves me and he's done everything to bring me near to him. And I'm trusting in him. And I have faith the size of a mustard seed at best. And I'm like, I want these guys and gals to know it. So there I am. And each day I'm walking in, smoking, token, waiting to share this news. But I'm like, I don't know enough. And then one Sunday I hear, just start somewhere. And I'm like, all right, let's do that. So there I am, and I'm standing outside the dumpsters, everyone's smoking. That's where we were. That's where you put smokers out by the dumpster, right? It stinks, they stink, <laughs> it's all good. What do you do? Scott, what are you going to do? And I remember standing there, and I said, Hey, guys, can I just have your your attention for a moment? This is the, (coughs) it's all I had. I just want you guys to know, Jesus Christ loves you. And they're like, cool. (laughs) And that's it. I was like, that was the worst thing I could have probably ever done. That was so stupid. I felt like an idiot. I went and smoked out on the other end of the mall for the next three months. But some six months later, a young girl comes up to me, and she says to me, she said, are you the weird guy who came out here and told us all that Jesus loved us? I said, yeah. I said, "I sorry. I said, I'm sure that was a weird moment. And she goes, no, I just want you to know I'm having a really tough time in life. Can we, can we talk? Can we talk? I said, sure. Sure, we can talk. So we we talked uh, a handful of different times out there while we would smoke. I told my wife, right, we were newly married. I didn't want her to think any shady stuff was going on. There were other people out there. I don't know if she ever came to faith. I really don't. Lost contact, just how it was. Here's what I know. Jesus doesn't need you to be amazing. Here's what I know. Jesus just wants you to trust that he is. Will you trust that Jesus is amazing? Will you trust that Jesus has sheep, now we're mixing metaphors, maybe it's a sheep fish, I don't know, <laughs> in, in this city that when they hear that message, they'll believe? Will you believe that? Will you believe that he's sufficient? I could tell you more stories, I'm not going to. Um, third point. To catch men for Christ, we must humble ourselves before Jesus, right? By the way, humility is not something we can achieve. (laughs) Yes, we can. No, you really can't. It's like faith, right? Uh, It's a gift, but I would say that we are empowered to pursue humility. We're we're empowered to pursue humility by God's grace. Um, If there's one thing that we could all grow in, it's humility. Every one of us. None of us have arrived. You can't be like, nope, I'm the most humble man or woman in this room. You just failed by saying that, right? We can all grow in humility. And and I got to tell you, most don't even understand what humility is. Many within our culture confuse humility, even with inside the church, right? They mistaken it for like insecurity, right? They mistaken it for indecisiveness, Inactivity. They think, oh, that person's so humble. Look at them as they stare at their navel and say how woe they are. It's not humility. As a matter of fact, it's reverse humility. It's gross. You should stop it if you do that. Because there's, how do I know that? Here's the thing Jesus Christ is our picture of perfection in humility. He is our absolute picture, He's our standard for humility. He was never insecure. Now, you and I are insecure. I am insecure, right? Indecisive, I'm, I'm indecisive, right? I wouldn't say that marks my life, but there are times I'll, I'll sit there, I'll twiddle my thumbs I'll think, oh, I don't know, what do I think? Oh, Lord, help me talk to my wife, talk to this person, talk to that person. What should I do? What do you think, right? Inactive, when I get to those places, I then am immobilized. I'm stuck, right? Jesus was never like that. Jesus is never like that, and yet he's perfectly humble, perfectly humble, right? The apostle Paul might've come across pretty brash, but I would say he was no doubt a humble man. And he said, no one worked harder than me. <laughs> Sounds like pride. It's not pride if it was true. I labored harder than any of them. So what's the difference then? If, if, if in, you know, insecurity is not humility, what is humility? Well, true humility comes from understanding and seeing God's holiness and our sinfulness through the lens of the cross. The gospel is what produces humility. Justified sinners, justified meaning you have been forgiven all your past, present, future sins. You now have a righteousness that is not your own, has been given to you by God through faith. We ought to be the most courageous and humble people in the world. Why? Well there's a bunch of reasons but but one of the main reasons is because humility has to do with approval many times. And if you're in Christ, listen, you've been approved of. God loves you. Which ought to bring comfort. Which means I don't have to do things to make you try to love me why cuz God does love me. And therefore, I did I do that? I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't make myself that. Christ did that. So that's a gift. So I receive it. I receive it by faith. And when I understand that nothing nor no one can ever take me from the love of God, then I can love him and I can love others because I don't need anything from you. And therefore I can serve you. And that's a picture of humility that's brought forth by the gospel. Well, what if they don't approve you? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why. Because the God of the universe does in Christ. So now I can just receive that. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Neither are you. Get over it. Jesus is. Jesus is. And he has said, mine. (laughs) I love you. I have done everything to make you lovable. Believe in my love. Right? And so we come and we seek to love. C.S. Lewis helpfully wrote that true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. If you just have your mind preoccupied with the gospel, it's pretty hard to think about you all the time. Right? So, so, boy, I had a lot more to say there. We'll get to it another day. By the way, humility comes not from fasting of self, but feasting on Christ. You've got to think about these things. These things have profound impacts to change your life. It's not... All, right, it's like it's not fasting. Don't think about me. Just be humble. I'll go serve everybody. You're still thinking about you. Okay. You're still thinking about you. It, humility comes not from fasting of self, like I'm just going to beat myself and oh woe is me. No, it comes from feasting on Christ through His Word, in community, in prayer, and as that happens, humility begins to grow in the heart of the believer. Two more points. Let's finish it up. Point four to catch men for Christ, we must work together. I would love to discuss that more. I'll spend the rest of my life doing that. Know this the the boats were sinking, the nets were breaking, and they needed to call other people. This story is so much focused on Peter, but don't miss the fact that you needed other people in those boats to come and get those fish ashore. Evangelism is a team sport. It's not even a sport. That makes it sound bad, it's a team effort. Right? Where did you see that on display? I'll tell you right now. And I wouldn't say this was evangelism, but but anytime our church gets together, when we were out at the luminary night, you're working together. You all have gifts, whether you realize it or not, that are absolutely necessary for the work that God is doing in this church. Every one of you, every one of you, there's not one person that's here that's not needed. Every person, you're like, well, I didn't, I don't always do anything. It could be something you don't even realize you're doing. It could be a smile. It could be an encouragement. It could be all these different things that God is doing to bring people to himself. Will you trust him in doing that work? Lastly, to catch men for Christ, we must treasure Jesus above all else. By the way, if you get that, you'll get the rest. Should have started there, huh? Maybe you had one point. Could have finished earlier. We didn't. That, that's exactly what Peter's going to have happen throughout his life. As we watch it unfold over the next two years, it was three years for them, right? Um, but we're going to watch G- Jesus walk with Peter and the gang. And as they do, they're going to show themselves to not have fully arrived. I mean, these guys are knuckleheads. By the way, spoiler alert, you're a knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead. We're all knuckleheads. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you realize I'm a knucklehead. But he doesn't run from you. He doesn't kick you out of the family. He keeps pulling you closer. He keeps drawing you near. With with tears in your eyes, snot-stained cheeks, he keeps drawing you near, and he keeps reassuring you of his love. And as you understand his profound love for you, you begin to well up with emotions. Yes, emotions. To treasure him, to love him, to delight in him, to enjoy him. And when you do that, guess what happens? You start to, well, let's pull it all together by saying this, by Jesus's power and authority, multitudes of people will be caught alive for eternal kingdom blessing by those who treasure Jesus above all things, right? As they humbly seek to obey the call to cast the net of the gospel. For God's glory, their joy, their joy, and the good of all that they come in contact with. What you need is a miracle. Every time I preach, I'm praying that you'd have that miracle happen. What's that miracle? The eyes of your heart to love Christ more than all things. Because when that miracle happens within your heart and within your mind, all other things in your life start to get sorted out. Doesn't mean you won't have problems. You'll have problems. You'll have 99. But the biggest one, the one that will no longer be your problem is the wrath of God. And as that starts to get ordered out, all the other things in your life start to get ordered out. I'm telling you, over and over throughout the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see Jesus isn't asking you to do more. It's always the lie within the church. Jesus is asking you to trust that he is more. And he's asking you to believe that you are probably way more than you realized in him. He's just wanting you to see his love for you. He's wanting you to believe. He's wanting you to know he's done it all. It's finished, and you can trust him. You can enjoy him. You can delight in him, and when that happens, it affects every aspect of your entire life. And when that happens, let me tell you, you won't have to worry about catching men alive. They'll see the love you have for one another, a love that comes from God first. And it will be a compelling witness to a world that only loves itself. I promise you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the glorious work that you're doing here. Thank you for each and every person that is here. Lord, help us to know and to trust and to believe this good news more fully, more deeply. Open our hearts, open our minds to see more clearly. Lord, I pray you just clear the stage and all the things that clutter us from, from not seeing you rightly. Lord, give us give us a greater understanding through the pages of Scripture as we go through Luke. Like, re- realign our heart and our mind with you. Help us to see you. Help us to understand you. And may we, may we trust in your love. And as we do, Lord, may we be encouraged that our labor is never in vain. Never. There's never a time when, you, when we seek to follow you or obey you or love somebody that that's ever wasted. It's in that moment that they have seen and they have come in contact with the God who is love. And so, Lord, I pray that you would pour out more of your love upon the hearts and minds of the people in here this day. We ask this in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the city exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply."